here. If you don't know who I am, uh, if, if I've met you before, maybe you've seen me from afar, but I've never introduced myself or we haven't gotten a chance to talk. Uh, my name is Ryan, and, and I'm just a, a part of this church just like you guys are. Um, I want to just share a little bit about myself this morning so that you kind of know who you're talking to or who's talking to you. Uh, but, but my name is Ryan. My wife is Kathleen. We've been a part of this church for just over three years now. In 2016, my wife and I started coming, uh, and, and we've, you know, we jumped right in and haven't looked back. God has really touched our lives personally as a result of this church, and uh, we have doubled the size of our family since we started coming here in 2016. She was pregnant for our first child back then, but we just had a baby uh, two weeks ago, a, a little boy, and so she's not here. She's home taking care of the baby, but, uh, but we're excited about that. Uh, I can say this because I'm on the microphone, but I had the cutest kids in the world, so I'm sorry for your kids, but mine are the cutest. Um, but yeah, like I said, Kathleen and I are just a part of this church. Uh, we're involved, and we consider you our church family, and so um, for me personally, one thing that I enjoy, one thing that I would say that I feel called to uh, is, is just to help people just people like you and me, just to grow incrementally in their lives, just one little step at a time. Um, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big like vision casting guy. I'm not the kind of guy that you're going to go to and say, hey, what's, what's a plan for the next five years? I believe in planning, but I'm more of a, a details guy. And so I, I, I'm, I'm deep into those small little details. Uh, sometimes it's hard for me to see big picture stuff because of that. But it helps me connect with people to help them reflect on their lives and see, hey, what's going on? Where can we gain some perspective here? And how can we help you grow? And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to take an opportunity just to, to talk to you guys, to maybe help share some perspective on, uh, on something from the Word of God, and to help you grow and be encouraged and, and feel a little bit more freedom in your walk with God this morning. So if you'll allow me to do that, I, I would love to just have your ear for the next 30 minutes or so. Uh, but I'm going to pray before we get started. So God, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak to, to this church, to my church this morning, God. I thank you that these people that, that I sit next to and I serve next to and that, I, and that I work with, God, these people are my church family. And I pray that you would use me this morning to, to speak a message of, of enlightenment, a message of encouragement, uh, and of refreshing, and that you would just open their ears and their hearts to receive what it is that you have to say this morning, God. That, um, that you would use me to speak your words and that something would catch their ear and that the Holy Spirit would touch their lives as a result of it and they would, they would leave this place better than they came because of, because of your word, because of your spirit, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to take this opportunity this morning to just compare and contrast the difference between religion and the gospel. And so this message is called the good news. Now on the surface... Religion and the gospel may seem like two concepts that are intertwined with one another. They kind of share similar interests and, uh, and kind of represent the same mindset. Uh, but I want to look a little bit deeper and, and just compare and contrast religion and the gospel this morning. So without knowing the difference between the two and, and what they mean, you may, you, know, you may be inclined to say something like, I follow my religion because I believe in the gospel. That seems like a valid, accurate statement, right? Seems harmless enough. It seems like it makes sense. And without digging too deeply, religion seems like a valid way of honoring the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But I want to dig deeper into that concept this morning, the difference between religion and the gospel, and see how the two are alike and how they are different. And so let's start off with the gospel. What is the gospel? When you break down just the word without, without you know, looking at the Bible or anything like that, but just that word itself and the meaning behind it, when you break down the etymology of that word back to you know, the Old English and the Latin and the Greek, what that word simply means is a story of good news about God. The word gospel means a story of good news about God. Man, for me already, that's encouraging. I like that. That sounds good. You see, if you were here last week, Pastor JJ from the Jennings campus, uh, he preached an awesome message about responding to the word of God. But at the end, he talked a little bit about our salvation and what it means and what that looks like and kind of the, the theology behind it. And so if you were here, you heard him talk about the gospel being life-altering news about Jesus Christ, that the eternal Son of God became a man and became exposed to all of our same weaknesses, and yet he lived a sinless life under the law, and he died an innocent death for all sinners and rose from the grave to defeat death's hold on your life and my life by paying the ultimate price for your sinfulness to reconcile you to God. What a mouthful, right? That's, that's kind of, that's big. That's, that's like too much information, right? So that is like one giant sentence of what the theology behind the gospel means. But I want to break that down further today. And let's just simply start by saying the gospel is a story about the goodness of God. But then what is religion? If the gospel is a story of the good news of God, then what is religion? Webster defines religion as a particular system of faith and worship. That's a little bit more rigid, a little bit more cold, but that doesn't seem so bad, right? No, let's look at, we looked at the etymology of, of the gospel, and it means a story of good news about God. So what is the original meaning of the word religion? Just the word by itself. What does that mean? The word religion means to bind your life in obligation to a vow. That kind of rubs you the wrong way a little bit, doesn't it? That doesn't sound as good rolling off my tongue as a story of good news about God. Religion means to bind your life in obligation to a vow. That doesn't sound quite like good news, does it? It's not as, not as pleasing to the ear. Here's another thought that I want to make clear to you this morning, something I, I want you to realize a way that, that the gospel and religion differ or conflict. There are countless systems of religion, but there's only one gospel. There's only one story of good news about Jesus Christ. Even within Christianity, there's countless systems of religion, right? There's, you know, Catholicism. There's First Baptist, Second Baptist, Pentecostal. There's Episcopalian, Methodist. You know, there, there's countless systems of religion even within christianity and then you go outside of that and across the world there's other forms of religion of what different people believe about what god to be you know islam buddhism hinduism agnosticism there's, there's all kinds of different you know systems of religion about how people commit themselves or bind themselves to a system of beliefs but there's only one story of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what makes religion and the gospel different. There's only one story of Jesus Christ. 
Martin Luther, the, the reformist from hundreds of years ago, he said this, and I want to quote him. He says, as sinners, that's you and me, as sinners, we are, pr- we are prone to pursue relationship with God one of two ways. The first is religion. The second is the gospel. And the two are opposites in every way. That's a powerful statement. That's a far cry from, from religion and, and the gospel seeming like two concepts that are kind of intertwined and, and convey the same idea. Martin Luther went so far as to say that religion and the gospel are opposites in every way. See, my hope today is that we would understand that Jesus is the one who transforms our life and not a system of works-based religion. Jesus wants us to come to him just as we are. The gospel says this, and you may have heard this in the church before. We say this a lot around our Savior's church, but the gospel says this. It's okay for you to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. That's what the gospel says. So it's okay for you to not be okay. But religion says this. It's not okay for you to not be okay. You're not good enough. That's what religion says. It's simply not okay to not be okay. You need to do better. That's two wildly different concepts and beliefs. And so this morning, I want to take the next few minutes and just look at one story from the Bible, from the Word of God. This is one of my favorite stories of Jesus interacting with another human being. And I want to take this story and within it compare the differences between religion and the gospel as related to this story. And you can find this in in John chapter 8, verses 1 to 12. You want to turn there to your phone, or if you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screen. Let's start in John uh, 8, verse 1. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commands The law of Moses commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who began to go away... Those who were standing there began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Kind of a a little bit of a messy story, right? A little bit of, uh, it's a little bit risque. Sometimes we we look at the Bible as as this clean, perfect document, but there's stories in there of, of messy lives like yours and mine. But let's look at some of these facts here. Number one, these Pharisees are jerks, right? Who does that? 
takes someone caught in their sin and puts them on display and says, this woman's sins are, are, here they are for everybody to see. And they put her in the center of the court for everyone to look at. How embarrassing. How much shame do you think that, that she felt? You would think that they would have a little bit of social awareness to say, hey, that's not okay, right? But they didn't. They were just cold-hearted. Secondly, this is important for us to realize that at their time, according to the law of the Old Testament, death by stoning was an acceptable form of punishment for someone who was guilty of, of this sin or this crime. So she was guilty. She deserved, according to the law, what the Pharisees were placing on her to be paid. And then thirdly, it's crucial for us to understand this, that we are all this woman. We are all guilty. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's you and me. Every single one of us are guilty of something in the law of the Old Testament that requires our punishment. Each and every one of us. So let's, with those facts in mind, Let's take a look at what the gospel means to us and how to compare it and contrast it. The very first thing I want to point out today that happened in this story is that the gospel forgives our sin when religion just objectifies it. You see, the Pharisees in this story, they represent religion. They represent you know, a system of rules, a system of obligations, you know, going back to what I said religion was, uh, to bind yourself to an obligation. That's what the Pharisees represented to the, the fullness. And these Pharisees were quick to put this woman's sins on display and list them out for everyone to see and, and call shame to be brought on her. That's what religion does, but the gospel forgave her sin. Religion looked dead in this woman's eyes and said, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You should be ashamed. Religion looked her dead in the eye and told her those things, but what did Jesus do? Jesus responded with pure, unfiltered, Unending forgiveness. No requirement, no price to be paid. He looked at this woman and said, Hey, where are your accusers? Wasn't there anyone that was willing to stand here and continue to condemn you after realizing that they're guilty too? No. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Jesus forgave her. That's what the gospel does. And you see, let's look at it this way. Religion takes the authority to forgive sin away from God and forces us to work for it, to try to earn it. That's what these Pharisees were doing for this woman. They were taking the act of forgiveness away from God and they were forcing this woman to pay for her sins. But what did Jesus do? He took the authority to forgive back on himself and he said, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. 
the gospel places that authority to forgive back in God's hands so that we can be released from the weight of the punishment of our sins and then go on to pursue Jesus in a life of freedom. That's a big difference between the gospel and religion. So the gospel forgives our sin while religion makes us fully aware of it and objectifies it and lists our sin out for all to see. The second thing that I want to point out that the gospel does related to this story is that the gospel restores our hope and religion only condemns us. In verse 10 and 11, Jesus said to the woman, Has no one condemned you? She says, No, no one has condemned me. Then neither do I condemn you. Religion was ready to end her life right there. Religion was ready to say to her, you've made too many mistakes. Sorry, you can't, you can't make it back this time. It's time to pay up for your sins. Religion was ready to cut her off and condemn her. But Jesus looked at her and said, these guys don't condemn you because they don't have the right to. So I don't condemn you. But then we look at the end of verse 11, and Jesus didn't just stop at removing the condemnation from her. He then empowers her to go on and live a different life. He looks at her and he says, go now and leave your life of sin. Now let's pay attention again to the fact that according to the law, Jesus was fully aware of the law. The Pharisees were fully aware of the law. This woman was fully aware of what the law required of her. And yet he looks at her and says, I don't condemn you. Go now. Be free and leave your life of sin. Go live a different life. So Jesus was restoring hope to her and then also empowering her to live a different future. Religion was ready to end it all right there. Religion was ready to force her to pay up. But Jesus stepped in and said, no. No, you're worthy of a future. You're worthy of, of a calling. You're worthy of, of a different life. And I believe that from this day forward, you can live it. He empowered her to go and live a different future. You see, religion causes all of us to forget that we're all the same. Religion would desire to put us all in different classes of a false morality based on which sins we view as worse than others. So religion says, you know, well, well, murder and, you know, and things like that are much worse than, than just lying and cheating. That's what religion says. It places us into different classes based on the sins that we're guilty of. But Jesus looks at us and says, you're all sinners. All of you are the same. All of you are guilty. All of you are, have a price to be paid based on the law. And because of that, I come and I lay down my life for all of you, that you would all be changed and that you would all be saved. So religion separates us into different classes. Religion separates us into different levels of condemnation, into different levels of worthiness thereby forcing those that are in the lower classes to feel like they have to work harder to gain God's approval than those who aren't quite as guilty of, of the, the simpler, 
more whitewashed sins. Isn't that a ridiculous concept? That's what religion brings. And Jesus came to wash all of that away, to put us all on level playing ground, and to say, all of you are equals, none is better than the other, all of you need me in order to gain God's approval. So religion condemns us, but the gospel restores our hope. The story of Jesus becoming a man, living a sinless life, and then dying an innocent death for our sins so that we can be freed from that weight and go on and live a different life, that is a story that restores our hope. That's the gospel. One thought that I want to share with you about this is an interesting contrast, is that both the gospel and our religion in this story require our sin to be exposed. The gospel, Jesus didn't hide this woman's sin in this story. He didn't, you know, deny it. He didn't take up for her and say, no, she's not guilty. He pointed out the fact that we're all guilty. Religion would rather point out our sins so that we can be ashamed, so that we can be broken, and that we can be cast down. But the gospel desires for our sin to be exposed and pointed out so that we can confess it and be healed. That's two completely different motives. And it's interesting to me to think that in this story, both of these, both of these parties, the gospel and religion, expose this woman's sin. But the gospel does it in a healthy way so that we can be healed. And that's what gives us hope. And the last thing I want to point out, the last point today, is that the gospel offers us relationship with God when religion only further separates us. In verse 12, Jesus goes on to tell those that he was teaching in in the synagogue. He says, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so right on the heels of, of forgiving this woman's sin, and right on the heels of restoring her hope, he then invites everyone in the room to follow him, to walk with him in a life filled with light and hope, promising that they would never walk in darkness again. The gospel offers us a relationship and a daily walk with God. When religion only further separates us from Him. How does religion further separate us from God? If the gospel invites us to walk with Jesus, to walk with the Lord on a daily basis, how does religion further separate us from God? Religion says, God, I know that you sent your son to die on a cross for me. I know that I'm guilty. But instead of receiving your son's sacrifice, receiving the payment for my sins that you sent for me, I'm just going to try to work it out on my own. I'm just going to try to earn it. So thanks, but no thanks, God. I appreciate what you did, but I'm going to stand over here and do it on my own. That's what religion says. When the gospel makes us fully aware that we can never earn our way back to God. We can never pay off the debts that our sin incurs on us. 
How many times you and I have tried again and again and again to be better under our own strength and our own willpower? To, to fall to our knees and, and apologize to God again and beg Him for forgiveness just to feel guilty and shameful next time we mess up again. You don't have the willpower to overcome your sins and bad habits. The religion is just a list of all of these rules of things that you have to accomplish. And when you look at them, you try to keep them and you're inevitably going to fail in one of them. But when you take up that invitation to follow Jesus, when you take up that invitation to, to, to walk the path and hold his hand and walk it with him, it's not about looking at a list of all these rules and requirements that you have to complete. It's about daily being in relationship with God and being obedient to what he's asking you to do that day. The gospel lifts that weight of all these requirements off of our shoulders so that we can be free to pursue Jesus without the guilt and shame holding us and dragging us down. Now, I want to be very clear. The requirement is still there. But living under the gospel just lifts that weight of, of, of failure off of us so that we can be free to try again and again and again to pursue Jesus when we're getting it wrong. So following the gospel doesn't mean that you're okay to just stay where you are. Remember in the beginning I said that it's, the gospel says that it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. It's about getting up and following Jesus and doing what he says to do on a daily basis. Religion just says, here's all the requirements, do your best to keep them, and if you fail, then you're guilty and you've got to work twice as hard to earn it. Religion says, it's not okay to not be okay. It's not okay to, to mess up on any one of these requirements. Get them all right, every day, all the time. That's what religion says. That's what the Pharisees were focused on. They took this woman's moment of weakness and put it on display as the, the one point of brokenness and said, sorry, you messed up the requirement, you're guilty. When the gospel removes that requirement from us and says, look, you're not capable of getting it right on your own all the time. Follow Jesus, be in relationship with him so that when you mess up, you can get up and try again. Religion doesn't offer that, but the gospel does. All of this emphasizes and proves what I quoted Martin Luther to say earlier, that religion and the gospel are two different ways of trying to pursue God, but they're actually opposites in every way. They are not one and the same. They'll never be the same. You can't mix the two. It's not healthy to mix the two. They don't go together. Now, I understand that we have, you know, belief systems here because as humans, sometimes we're so small-minded that, that we have to put a list of things to make it work for us in our minds. But it's not about that. It's about the gospel. 
It's not about the countless forms of beliefs and systems of vows and obligations that you could follow. It's about the gospel. It's about the story of good news that Jesus sent his son to die on the cross for you and responding to how that affects your life. So let's recap these three points real quick. And I have one, one more verse after that. Number one, the gospel forgives our sin when religion only objectifies it. Religion lists out our sin and says, these are all the things that you've done wrong. And Jesus just looks at him and says, you're forgiven. The gospel restores our hope when religion condemns us. Religion says, you've messed up in these ways, and so therefore you're not worthy. And Jesus looks at us and says, there's no way for you to be worthy on your own. Stop trying to earn it. Just accept my love and my forgiveness and follow me. And lastly, the gospel offers us that relationship with God. But religion further separates us. The longer you keep trying to, to struggle and strive to fulfill all the requirements of what you think you're supposed to do on your own, the more and more you're going to feel unworthy of it. It's like the harder you struggle, the more aware you become of how unworthy you are. And so the solution today is to turn to the gospel, to turn to the story of Jesus Christ, and just throw your hands up and say, Jesus, thank you. I surrender myself to you. I give myself over to a relationship with you to follow the path that you laid out for me. Not worried about, you know, correcting all these things that I think would make my image look better, but just following you today, just having a relationship with you today. I want to look at one last verse really quickly. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. And I'll close with this. It says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. Maybe today you're in here and you're weary and heavy laden, because you're trying to, to fulfill that, that religious obligation. Maybe you're tired because you're trying to, to do your absolute best to be everything that you think you should be, but you just feel like you can't get it right. Maybe you're in here today and you've been hurt by someone in this church or maybe you've been hurt by someone at a different place or a different church someone that that looked at you and said hey why haven't you gotten over this yet are you still struggling with that you should have been done with that a long time ago and they placed a religious obligation on you and jesus says come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. The gospel gives us rest. Now I want to be crystal clear with you today. That just because you follow the gospel, 
And just because you, you take up that call to have a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that you get to stay where you are. Doesn't mean that it's okay to just keep doing what you've always done. That's not what the gospel's about. A lot of people misconstrue that and they think that, oh, God forgives my sins, so I don't even have to try. That's not the case. It's the fact that Jesus came to remove that, that guilt, to remove that shame, to remove that weight so that we can continue trying, so that we can continue striving to follow his call for our life without feeling weighed down, without feeling burdened by our own impossible brokenness. Because each and every one of us are all the same. Each and every one of us are guilty of something that requires a debt from us that we don't have the ability to pay. And trying to fake it till you make it, or trying to pretend like everything's good, or hiding your sin, all of that would just lead to more brokenness, more failure more shame and it won't bring you any closer to God but if you take the yoke of Jesus upon you his forgiveness, his grace his empowerment to a different hope and a future if you take that yoke on you his burden is easy and his yoke is light There's still, a, there's still a yoke and a burden. There's still something to be done. There's still work in your life that needs to happen. But Jesus knows exactly the amount of weight that you can carry and things that you can change and things that you can work on. And He knows how to influence us in our daily life and speak to us in ways that we can understand and that we can respond to. Jesus gives it to us in bite-sized pieces that we can digest. Religion just says, here's all of it. Do the best you can. And if you mess up, sorry, got to pay up. Jesus looks at us. He holds our hand and he whispers to us, hey, why don't you try to work on this today? That attitude that you struggle with, that failure, that, that thought that you keep having. Here's why. Why don't you, why don't you try and fix it? Here's the, here's the reasons you have those thoughts. Why don't you try and, and work on this one thing today? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And Jesus is offering you today something different. Something that will remove that weight so you can pursue Him. So that you can have a fulfilling relationship with God and be encouraged, be blessed, and feel hopeful that you can make it. Not because you're good enough, but because you're holding the hand of God. That's what Jesus came to do. And that is the gospel, the story of good news about God.